0: Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Eben Knight. I'm and today on the show, we're talking about low deposit loans. This is continuing on our series about how do you get started if you don't own any property yet in the housing market. So, yesterday we talked about how to buy properties very cheaply. Today, we're talking about how to get a low deposit loan. Andrew,
1: how do I do it and how much of a deposit do I actually need? If you're buying a property as an investment property and it's an existing property, then you need to have a 40% cash deposit or usable equity deposit. If the property is new, then technically there's no LVR restrictions so you can do whatever, but generally speaking, 20% is the golden rule. 20% is also the number if you're buying an owner-occupier property. But if you're a first-home then often you can get a 10% deposit loan approved, which you've got to jump through a few hoops, you have got to have good solid income, but you can buy your first owner-occupied property with as little as 10% cash deposit. And actually the person who we've got coming on the show is a bit
0: of a case study in tomorrow's episodes actually used a 10% deposit. So that's going to be a really
1: nice case study. Great. So I guess the question is, can I consider my first investment as an owner-occupier in the short term? And The answer's yeah, probably you should, because obviously lower deposits required in the first instance, and it probably frees up that KiwiSaver, potentially the first time buyers grant, and gives you more money, more cash to use for renovations if you're going to go in there and start improving the property value. I guess there's a few trade-offs. First trade-off is you're very unlikely to get interest only on a owner-occupied mortgage, very much unlikely if you've got a 10% deposit. And also there is another trade off. Often you'll pay a higher interest rate through a thing called low equity margins.
0: And we're gonna get into the low equity margin in a minute, but just to really dig into what you're just saying, Andrew, I guess what the strategy we're talking about is purchasing your very first property as an
1: owner-occupier, but
0: knowing that you're going to turn it into an investment, yeah. knowing you're going to rent it out. Just
1: using it as kind of a stepping stone and then move out of that house and rent it out later on. And specifically, I guess, this is going to help you because you know, you're know you not going to need a 40% deposit. We're assuming
0: you're going to renovate it in this instance because that's what we were kind of talking about yesterday. But rather than needing a 40% deposit, you could potentially get in with a 10% deposit. And the Kiwi Saver one is a massive one, is that if you've got 20K in your KiwiSaver, you're not
1: able to use that for an investment property. And actually just also another side note, if you don't use it to buy your first property, you can't use that money until you retire. So it could be twenty, thirty grand that you've built up and there if you go and buy an investment property, as soon as your name's on a title of a property or has been on the title of a property, you're not gonna have access to that property. So it's kind of it's a bit of a waste. And the first time grant is a big one as well because, again, as long
0: as you're purchasing a property under the house price caps, as long as you're under the income caps, if you're purchasing an existing property to renovate, you could get up to five grand for yourself or ten grand if there's you and your partner that it's just free money from the government in order to go and purchase this property. It doesn't matter how much other deposit you've got in that instance. So there are some really good reasons why you'd want to be able to do that. But as you said before, Andrew, there are some trade-offs. So let's talk about the low equity margin, because we already mentioned the fact that you're not going to be able to do interest-only payments, it's going to have to be principal interest, and you're also going to pay a higher interest rate. So a low equity margin is often not talked about, but this is where if you're purchasing a property with less than a 20% deposit, so if your LVR, your loan is really high as a proportion of the house price, they're going to charge you a higher interest rate. If you're going to use a 10% deposit, you're not going to ASB and getting 2.55% for the first year, because they're going to add on up to 1.5% depending on what sort of deposit you're using. So, if you're using a 15% deposit, or somewhere between 15 and 20%, they're going to add on 0.3%. These are the current rates. If you're using somewhere between a 10% deposit and you know a 14% deposit, they're going to add in 0.75%. So if you were fixing for a one year rate, your new rate would not be 2.55%, you're actually going to be charged 3.3% and there are some tiers but it goes up to a maximum of that kind of 1.5 percentage points added on top of whatever you fix for. Now in terms of just talking about what that translates into extra payments, the first scenario is that you've got a $600,000 loan for an investment property and let's say that you are investing with a 2.55% interest rate on interest only, this is in the instance that you actually went out and purchased it as an investment property, your weekly payments would be $294 a week. Really, really low, god that's affordable. If it's the same size loan, 600K, but we put it on principal and interest and at the higher rate, because you're only going to use a 10% deposit, well, then your weekly payment's going to be $606. So that's an extra $312, I think it is, that you'd have to pay on that loan simply because it's down P&I nine and you are using that higher interest rate. So that is the trade-off. But just walk us through, Andrew, why might somebody accept that you know, higher interest
1: rate and the principal and interest payments? Well, I guess the main reason is that if you are buying something that you want to do some renovations on, you can withhold back some of those deposit funds and actually use that cash and get stuck into the renovations and add value to the property straight away. So, let's say you've got a property which you're buying for 400K, and you've got a 15% deposit, so that's $60,000. That's all of your cash gone. You've got no money for renovations. Your interest rate might be 2.85, so your weekly payments are 572 Now, if you hold back, for renovations, that only gives you a 10% deposit of 40K. So the interest rate goes up 3.3%, let's say. Your payments go up as well, because of course, you're paying more interest. The extra interest you pay means that you're paying 606 a week. So it's an extra $34. But again, you get the benefit of getting to move into the property right now, do the renovations, and hopefully add value to the property in a quicker period of time. I
0: guess the other thing that you've just got to think about as well, if you're following this strategy, and in yesterday's episode, we talked about moving an hour out of town. So if you're in Dunedin and you're moving to Balclutha, hey, it's about an hour drive. And if you're commuting because you work in Dunedin every day, you're going to have to factor in some of the cost of petrol as well. But we're talking about doing this for a six-month period simply so you're able to get into the housing market if you are really tight on deposit and or income and you're not able to buy in your home city. And you know, if you don't have 60K already, I just want to go over something we haven't talked about in a while, which is the five ways to build your deposit as a first home buyer, or in this case, it's a first time property purchaser at all. In this case, you would be able to use your KiwiSaver. So anything in there. The
1: only thing is you wouldn't be able to use your KiwiSaver for renovations. No, any money that comes out of KiwiSaver has to go into the property purchase. So so if, for example, you got 40000 in in KiwiSaver and the bank approves you with $35,000 deposit, that's not going to work. You have to use that 440. Is that the same? I actually don't know this, Andrew. Is that the same with the Home Start Absolutely. grant? Yep, all of that money has to go into the actual purchase.
0: And so what you might do, if you're pulling from a couple of areas, say you've got some savings or you're going to sell your car in order to be able to yes. do that, it might be a bit difficult to move to Balclutha if you're <laughs> going to sell your car as well because you'll be stuck there, won't be able to commute back to Dunedin. Well, some people have partners <laughs> Well, yeah, so in that case, you know, who, you know, know, if you've both got cars, then you'd be able to do that. But what you need to do is put your KiwiSaver and your home start grant towards the deposit, and then use any of your savings, your sale of assets, or perhaps money you might borrow off your parents or a family member to go into your renovations because you'd need that as liquid cash not in your KiwiSaver or HomeStart grant but you know those are the five areas you can tap into the KiwiSaver your HomeStart grant Bank of Mum and Dad and we've talked a lot about that on the show in the past any savings you've got or the sale of assets and actually Andrew I mean we talked about this recently I mean I'm obviously not a first home buyer or a first time investor but you know thinking about getting into the fourth or fifth property I'm thinking gosh maybe I will sell my car and this was actually Suggestion the other day, why don't you just sell your car, put that towards your fourth or your fifth investment? I believe. You,
1: I believe your suggestion was maybe I should sell my car and you should buy a company car for me.
0: I didn't suggest <laughs> that. That was definitely not the. That um, was you after your wine. No, I didn't say that. That was definitely not the conversation. I just want to be clear that I'm not a. I'm not grubby, mate. <laughs> I just need the whole. I need all of New Zealand to know that. Yeah, sure. Now, come on, Andrew, what happens at the end of this? So we've talked about setting this up, you've purchased a property with 10% deposit, you've done some renovations, use the cash flow hacking system, whatever you've done, and then how do you reduce those payments back down? How do you get rid of the low equity
1: margin? So to remove the low equity margin, you can do this in a couple of ways, either by paying your loan down or by having the value of the property go up. Now, I would suggest if you're doing this as a stepping stone, putting your loan on the maximum term if you want to kind of future-proof yourself and go, right, I definitely need to be under that 80% so that I can have that low equity margin removed in the near future, what you might do is put whatever amount you've got above 80%, so say your loan is 87%, you put 7% on a revolving credit, and you pay any surplus cash you've got into that revolving credit facility, let's call it $35,000, and you diligently try and pay that down over the next six months, six to 12 months, in the meantime, because you've done some renovations or because the market's gone up, you've got the value going up and the mortgage going down, remember, When the bank looks at it, they're going to look at the revolving credit limit, not the balance. So if when you value your property, they say, okay, well now you can have all of this plus a revolving credit of 25, but you've got 35, they might reduce that limit to the 25, but you've paid it down to zero, so that's fine. And you've still got that money available. Do this before you move out of it, because they might say, actually, because this is going to be an investment property, we're going to take away that limit altogether because 60% on an existing rental property. You're probably unlikely to be able to turn that loan onto an interest only one. So you just have to factor in principal payments. But again, you can do that on a 30 year term, but that's just one little fish hook there. So I think that's
0: important to recognise because if you decide that, hey, I'm gonna move out of this property, turn it into a rental, get some tenants in, I'm moving back to the city. You're gonna be paying rent in the city. But remember, if you've now got your investment property back in Balclutha or Ashburn, whatever it happens to be, then you're gonna be probably topping up that property because you've got principal payments to make and that's gonna be potentially, you know, an extra two hundred dollars a week or whatever it happens to be in that instance. So that's important to recognise. The other thing that is important just to note is that you do have to wait six months before the low equity margin can be removed. And so you might have to show evidence. So let's say the mortgage hasn't gone down a lot, but you've done some renovations to increase the value of the property. You might have to get a registered valuation to show that that was the case yes. in order to get it removed. But of course, if it's going down by 0.75%, it's probably worth it to go ahead and do that rather than necessarily waiting for the
1: natural market appreciation to come out. The one other thing that you can have if it's not a low equity margin is a low equity fee. So some banks will actually charge you a amount which can often to be added onto the loan. So uh, it's called a low equity premium. That was the way that it used to happen. So basically that's just when the bank's taking on that added risk and so they have the insurance, the low equity insurance. So they might charge two or three thousand dollars So if you are looking at one of these types of loans, it's a good idea to use a broker or speak to a few different banks because in some instances, it's better just to pay the one-off fee and know that then you get normal interest rates because it's just one-off. Sometimes it's better to take the margin because you know that in six months, you're going to have that removed. And so it only affects you for six months rather than the full life of the loan.
0: Well, what about this, Andrew? Let's say that I've bought this property, lived in it for six months, renovated it, the property's gone up in value. I want to turn it into a rental property. But before that, I want to pull the Equity of that property out so I can go and purchase my next property. Issue is that I want that to be based on an 80% LVR, so a 20% deposit. Can I go back to the bank, you know, let's say that I only put that loan on a six month fixed term and I go back and apply for that to be increased on the basis that it's an owner-occupier home, set up a massive revolving credit, sweet, I've got that now, I move out back to the city and start renting and take the money out of the revolving credit, or is that outside of the spirit of the code? No, you
1: you can do that so long as you say, okay, well I want to have a facility in place so that I've got the ability to buy an investment property, you can go to 80% while you're living in that house. If that's your intention to carry on living there for now, then that's the case. If you've gone and moved to a different city, then it's 60% rule applies.
0: Yeah, so you might go ahead, do that, then move out, take the revolving credit with you only catch is what you said before is probably going to be on principal and interest yep. rather than interest only. If you're happy with that, then sweet, you might be able to use this strategy in order to get into your second property and keep building your equity from there. And you might decide to switch over to a new build, or you might decide to switch over to a purchasing more existing investment properties, depending on kind of where you're at. Of course, if you're going down the new build route, then you're going to need a lower deposit. And if equity is your main constraint, that might be what you decide to do. Hey, look, hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you tune in tomorrow because we are going to have two more episodes in the series. Where we were specifically going to go through a case study, and the person you're going to meet tomorrow has saved an obscene amount of money very, very quickly in order to be able to purchase their first property in Hamilton. So make sure you tune in for this first home buyer case study. And of course, make sure you tune in and come along to our next webinar, which is happening Tuesday, the 17th of August. We're talking about how to get the money for your first investment property. We're going to talk about how to increase the amount of money you're able to get from the bank so that you can go from two to five properties. I'm going to drop a link for that down in the show notes. So tap or swipe over the cover up. There'll be a link in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Eric Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholls. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.